This morning's scripture is 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 8. David asked, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and he was summoned to David. The king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. The king said, Is there anyone remaining of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Ziba said to the king, There remains a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and did obeisance. David said, Mephibosheth, he answered, I am your servant. David said, do not be afraid, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you yourself shall eat at my table always. He did obeisance and said, what is your servant that you should look upon a dead dog such as I? This is the word of God. So today is Mother's Day, and uh, I cannot add a word to what Bianca said uh, because it co she covered all the bases, all the bases, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, uh, and we have a story from scripture that is an interesting story because you may wonder why Mephibosheth, um, by the way, how many of you heard this story before? Okay, okay, all right, just a few of you, okay, good. Um, some of you then may wonder why he became, um, the scripture says, crippled. We would say, what is the right way to say it now? Handicapped, um, impaired, disabled on his feet. He couldn't walk, he couldn't walk. What happened to him? Well, that's in 2 Samuel 4, 4, if you are curious. And what happened is that David, as you know, was in a war with Saul, the king, because David was the anointed king, um, the, 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 the chosen one by God, and he needed to get to the throne, but Saul was there. So they engaged in a war that lasted about 20 years. And um, in 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 in, in, in in the war, at the worst moment of the war, when the soldiers of David killed Saul and his son Jonathan, who was David's best friend, by the way, uh, there was a nanny. A nanny was taking care of Mephibosheth. And she was so scared that she ran. She picked him up. He was about five years old. He, she picked him up and ran and let him and dropped him. 
dropped it, let it fall from her arms, and he became impaired, no, disabled on his feet and never recovered, never recovered. With medicine being what it was in those days, nowadays it would have been different, but in those days, there was no recourse to that. He became uh, not able to walk for life. So I am here to tell you that sometimes those who are in charge of taking care of us, drop us. Sometimes those who are in charge of taking care of us, let us fall and become crippled. And sometimes we can walk, it's not on our feet the problem, and people don't notice what's going on, because what's going on is inside. But this is a story that is recurrent. It happens again and again and again. So I am here to tell you my story today. I am new in the church, you barely know me. What you know of me is what I wrote, <laughs> my biography and, and uh, my experience and things like that. What you see of me is what you see here on Sundays. This is my second Sunday preaching here. And I thought this was a good opportunity to let you know, to let you into my life a little bit. So bear with me. I was born in Argentina some 67 years ago. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm one of those women that annoys every other woman because I tell my age. <laughs> um, uh, I was born to parents who didn't like me, didn't want me, didn't like me, didn't love me, ever. And I'm not just saying that. This is after years and years and years of reflection and trying to understand why the things that happened, happened. I was uh, abused by my mother in every which way, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, verbally. Uh, I was mistreated since the day I was born. When I was uh, months and I was in the crib, um, my mother would go to work. She worked uh, four hours. Uh, she was a teacher in, in Argentina. In those days, teachers worked only four hours, either in the morning or in the afternoon. She worked in the morning. She fed me, changed my diaper, left, and left me in the crib, in the house, all by myself. She went to work and then came back just in time to feed me again and change my diaper again. My grandmother, who lived in a house behind ours, begged her to leave me with her, and she said, no, she doesn't need anything, she's fine. And um, that's the way I was brought up from the beginning, from the very beginning. Um, I can tell you horror story after horror story, but I won't. Because you can, be, you can imagine, you can imagine the kind of things that I went through. Not feeling loved, feeling in danger all the time. When my mother and father had a bad relationship, not domestic violence per se, the domestic violence was toward me, but um, they didn't hit each other, but they didn't get along at all. And when they had a fight, my father would walk away. And uh, my mother would pick me up in her arms and said to him, if you go through that door, I will open the gas and I kill her and myself. 
Now imagine, he knew this was manipulation and he left anyways. Imagine how I felt in my mother's arms knowing that my life was at stake. The most insecure and dangerous place in life when I was five years old was my mother's arms, just like Mephibosheth was in the arms of that nanny, who probably meant better. We don't know that. So years went by, and I learned to act in a way that would uh, calm my mother down. I had to master that art, because when she got nervous, she took it on, uh, on, on me. So years went by, and when I started adolescence, then another problem arose, and that was my father. And perhaps you can imagine what happened next. And it happened, completely. And it happened in a way that marked me, in a way that made me feel dirty and, and, and bad and, and, and guilty. And life went on. I had no self-esteem. I had no hope. I remember going to bed night after night, crying. And waking up in the morning with my eyes, you know when you cry when you go to sleep and your eyes are uh, sticky in the morning because those tears dry up in you, on you? And I remember that for months and months and at, at a time. I didn't have any hope. I remember daydreaming about living alone, living home and living alone. Being uh, perhaps at a, an apartment all by myself uh, and being free. Just to wake up to the reality that my mother would never let me go. I was the one who cleaned the house. I was the one who raised my brothers. Uh, I had two brothers at the time, and they were younger, seven years younger, the first one, 14 years younger, the third one, the, the second one, second brother. And I did everything for them. Uh, the youngest one, I even went to, to, to his uh, school uh, functions um, because my mother didn't have time. She was at her school functions. She was a teacher, remember? A great school teacher. Great school teacher. All those children who misbehaved made me pay for it. <laughs> so, so that was my life. Uh, my parents were atheists. They didn't believe in God. They were Catholic. They, 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 they baptized me when I was born. I took my first communion. Those were the only two times I went to church when I was growing up. And, and, but they didn't believe in any of that. They did it because it was the thing to do, you know? You do that. If you, you're Catholic in a Catholic country, you do that. But they, uh, they scoff at the church, they laugh at the church and the priests, and there was all kinds of disrespect for religion. And uh, they taught me, my mother taught me, that God doesn't exist. That weak people have created this notion of God because they need to believe in something that is greater than themselves. But we are smart, and we know that's a sham. 
we know that's not true. So if you're smart, you will never believe in God, she told me. And I didn't. I believed her. And I left life, lived life that way, without hope, without anybody to go to, isolated. In, in homes where children are abused, they, they're always told what happens within the four walls of this home, not for anybody outside to know. And they teach you that. And, and, and they teach you what will the, be the consequences if you tell anything. So I live my life that way. When I was 16, at the same time in, in school, I was pretty popular because I've always really been very extroverted. <laughs> uh, I was quenched at home. But when I got out, when I was in school, I was very popular. I was always helping people. I was always, um, I was always um, doing exams for other people, helping teaching people math, math and algebra and geom geometry and all that. I, I, I always was there for other people. So people loved me. My, my teachers, my, my classmates, they were, they were great with me. And then I went home and it was the the loneliness, and it was the tunnel where they had no end. Uh, when I was 16, I met Horacio. And uh, we met in high school. And he was a Baptist. <laughs> he was a Baptist boy, raised in Sunday school, you know, 18 years old. But he was, you know, God was the most important thing for him. He was very... Friendly with everybody in school, had his friends and everything, but he was a very serious guy. And, uh, and he fell in love with me. Now, it, the reason I say that that way is because I didn't know how to love. I had no clue. So he asked me to go out and I said, sure. <laughs> we went out, we went to the movies, we went for Coca-Cola and, you know, in those days... In those days, in that place, and at that age, dating had a very different meaning than it has now, nowadays here today. Um, he carried my books. He walked me home after school, carried my books. That was the extent of our dating for a while. Um, he was going to church. I told him when we first started going out, I said, okay, but you're a Christian and I'm not. If you promise to live it that way, I'll go out with you. But if you're going to talk to me about your God or your church, forget it. And he promised. One promise he didn't fulfill. <laughs> um, so what happened is that um, we dated for two years and we were doing great. We were very much in love. I learned with him. From him, I learned how to love. From him, I learned what you do with a person when you are happy with that person and we are, when you are not happy with that person. Um, and it was totally different from what I was living at home. I told him many things along the way about the way my mother treated me, but my father's part, I kind of kept to myself. You probably can understand why. I was so ashamed. But we were celebrating our second anniversary, and uh, 
I told him, I said, there's something you don't know about me. I, I need to tell you. And uh, no, I, no, rather, I said, I won't tell you. I said, I won't tell you until we get married. And well, of course, you can imagine he didn't leave me alone until I told him. And when I told him, uh, that was a moment of truth because I was very afraid that he would go, was going to say, well, forget, forget about you. you. You're too much. But instead of that, he hugged me, he cried with me, and the two of us cried uh, like two babies uh, in that corner. We were walking, coming back from the restaurant where we had celebrated our second anniversary. And he told me, you cannot stay in that home. And I said, yeah, you're right. Well, to make a long story short, in two months, two things happened. One is we went to court. And Horacio was with me uh, day in and day out for everything I had to do with that court. Um, we went to court and the judge took me out of my house. And the second thing that happened is that Horacio invited me to church for the first time. And I said, yes, because my guard was down. Now, uh, everything my mother has said to me had become very suspicious all of a sudden. And uh, I didn't believe her anymore. I started to get rid of that slavery, that, 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 that oppression. And uh, went to church. And the minute I set foot in church, I became a Christian because uh, I was so needy, so needy for the love of God, so needy uh, to find the one who had made me and, and the one who was able to, to free me. And, and when I said yes to God, my life changed dramatically because the judge took me out, out of my house. I went to live with an aunt of mine, a uh, sister of my grandmother, a, a, a widow uh, who had never had children. And my stay there started with her bringing me breakfast to bed. You can imagine, you cannot imagine the change that was, that was for me. Um, and uh, it wasn't easy to recover. It wasn't easy to recover. I was, I was disabled for a long time. On one hand, the transformation was dramatic because I was, I was a new person, definitely was a new person. But on the other hand, the nightmares continued, the fears continued, many things I had to work through. And I worked through them in prayer, and I worked through them in therapy, and I worked through them with the love of my husband. We became married. Um, Less than a year after I left home, I was 19 and he was 21. We were two kids. We didn't know much about life, but we knew that if we were together, I knew that if we were together, I was going to be safe. So, have you heard the scripture reading today? Have you heard the last line? <laughs> Susan was laughing at the last line. Who am I that you can look at a dog like me? That's how I felt. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt? Yeah. 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 When everybody else tells you you're a dog, when everybody else mistreats you or forgets about you or looks the other way, 
or something and all of a sudden the king <laughs> the king is calling for you first of all you're scared right <laughs> especially if the king has the voice that Susan was making when she was reading but the king is calling Mephibosheth to show him kindness I feel that God called me to his table to show me kindness and he keeps showing me kindness and when that happens when God calls you to the table to show you kindness God opens a door but also gives you kind of a responsibility now you need to show kindness to others right you cannot keep it all to yourself you cannot be the recipient of God's grace and mercy and keep it all to yourself. So that's why I have responded yes to the call to ministry. Horatio and I were called together. And we both said yes. Horatio has been a pastor for 20, some 27 years as an active pastor in congregations. And uh, now he's a theology professor. Um, we have said yes because we have seen the kindness and we needed an outlet to show the kindness of God to others. So my ministry has been split between ministering to uh, abused women and gang members and people in jail and dying people and unhoused people. God has said to me, you have seen a lot of my kindness. Now, all these people need it back. So, to finish, my question to you today is, is there anyone out there who needs to receive your kindness? Who needs to receive the kindness of God coming from your heart? from your hands, somebody who needs to be embraced, somebody who needs to be healed. We have so much to offer, not because we are great, not because we are rich, not because we are super smart, not because, it's not because of us. We have a lot to offer because we have received it from God. I told you the story of Bethy Rochette. I told you my story. There's a story of grace that is the story of Jesus Christ reaching out to each one of us. May God use us all in such a way that people will, uh, I'm going to tell you this. I went to, uh, to Brazil once in, in 1999 and we were preaching in different, we were a group of pastors and we were preaching in different churches um, every day because over there if you're a Christian over there you have services every day and uh, in, uh, in one church in particular we were sitting there in the platform the, the participants and the church was filled filled completely filled and in, in, in the person next to me uh, nudges me and says pokes me and says look at the windows there were window, open windows on the side people were outside on the windows looking in because they couldn't come in because it was so 
filled with people already. No more people could come in, and the people were all together on the windows. That's going to be urban grace. If the kindness and the love of God through us flows in this community in the way that God wants. May he bless us all.